science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Paula Croxon. It was recorded in January 2016 at the Crane Theater in New York as part of our show at the Horse Trade Theater Group's annual STEM Fest. I moved to New York six years ago today. Uh, I moved here to take a postdoctoral research fellowship in a neuroscience lab at Mount Sinai. And I was prepared for a change. Um, I was prepared for a transatlantic move, being further away from my friends and my family. I was prepared for the incredibly challenging, competitive, difficult job and career path that I had chosen for myself. But I wasn't really prepared for the cultural differences between you guys and us English. Um, So I had a lot of trouble, especially the first few weeks that I lived here, um, trying to understand how to get a bank account or get a cell phone or understand why a cell phone is not called a mobile phone. Um, Or, to be honest, even where to buy a pint of milk. Um, which is a quart of milk here. So you get, you get my confusion anyway. So when I first moved here, I was really searching for something, anything familiar that would make me feel at home. And ever since I was a kid, I've always been a swimmer and I've always been drawn to the water. So I started swimming and here was something that I knew. The rules were the same. The words that people use were the same. It was familiar. It was great. I started swimming in the summers in a pool in Central Park and I got pretty well known there. And I was really starting to make some new friends and enjoy myself. And um, some of the people that I met were very interesting. And they did this weird hobby called open water swimming, where they would go not in a pool, but into the rivers or the ocean around New York. And they would swim there seemingly for fun. Um, And at the end of one of my summers, a couple of years after I had moved here, one of them suggested to me that I take part in an open water swimming race. And I answered instantly, no way. (laughs) You see, an open water swimming race is not like a running race. So a five-kilometer run, say, is actually pretty achievable, even for a beginner. You can do a few weeks or months of training. You can show up, you can do it. You get tired, you stop, you take a rest. But an open water swim is a little bit different. For a start, it takes a lot longer to do five kilometers. In terms of endurance, that's more like a half marathon. Secondly, there's all kinds of weird dangers. It's cold and you're in the water, so you can't really stop and have a sit down. Um, There are also waves and there are currents. And I have to say, in the water around New York, it is filthy. (laughs) So I was very sure about this decision. And just like every other no way decision that I've ever been sure about, I started to doubt myself instantly. And I thought about it all winter. And when the summer rolled around again, I thought, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just try it. You know, I'll just go and try it. 
So I started going with some friends down to Coney Island um, and swimming there at the weekends. There's a group that swims there regularly, actually. So you can go and swim with them. And I started by doing a mile. And then I stretched it out to two miles. And before I knew it, I was doing three miles, which is five kilometers. So it was now or never. And I signed up for a race at the start of September. I was pretty nervous. I took the Q train down to Brighton Beach. Same place I always went. Same route I always swam. Should be fine, should be fine. I just sort of kept saying that to myself on the train. Um, there was a pre-race briefing where they told us exactly where we were going to go. We got these very sexy fluorescent swim caps with a number written on it. And they can't really pin a race number to your suit, so instead they just write it on your arm with Sharpie. And I picked up my chip. The chip goes on your ankle, and you walk over a mat at the start and the finish of the swim so that they can time you. In addition, you have to remember to give the chip back. Otherwise, they'll think you didn't finish the race, that you're still in the ocean somewhere, they'll mount a full search party, the police will be there. It's, it'll be really expensive. So bearing this in mind, I lined up for the start of the race. We all charged into the water. And on the whistle, we started swimming out to the first marker. And I felt great. I was swimming really strongly. It was going really well. The first mile felt really easy. I even stopped at the first turn at the end of the first mile and I gave directions to a fellow swimmer who wanted to know which way was the right way to go around the marker. Now, I'm an honest person, so I'm going to tell you that this was a 12-year-old girl who won the race. <laughs> And I'd be very grateful if you could continue not judging me for being beaten by a 12-year-old as I continue this story. Um, anyway, so I made my own turn and I started swimming back for mile two. And I'm swimming, and I'm swimming. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, they, they really moved the markers on me. It's taking a lot longer to get back to that marker than I remember Maybe I'm lost. Well, I can't really be lost. The beach is right there on my left. There's a giant fairground. Yep, I'm pretty sure that I'm not lost. What's going on? And then I realized it was the current. The reason I had such a great swim going there on the first mile was the same reason I was having such a rough time going back on the second mile. The current was pushing directly against me. Oh boy, was it strong. In addition, I was starting to get really cold by this point. And... My hands and my feet were starting to go numb. So I started sort of moving my fingers and my toes in the water as I was swimming, trying to get the circulation back in. And that didn't work at all. And then I started to get really worried. How cold is too cold? So I knew that swimmers could get hypothermia, and I knew that it was bad, and I didn't really know how you told before it got really bad and you lost consciousness. So I sort of started checking in with my mental function, um, so I started thinking up really complex experiments to do in my lab or <laughs> doing complex mental arithmetic. Yeah, I, I seemed to be fine. It didn't occur to me till later that if I had impaired mental function, I would think every experiment I came up with was really awesome. <laughs> but anyway, I did find out several weeks later that there is a way to tell whether you're getting hypothermia and there's a way to tell if you're getting too cold and you should get out. Um, and it's a thing that open water swimmers call the claw. Um, and what happens is the fingers of your hand get kind of clamped open 
into this sort of open hand position. The reason it happens is because of your ulnar nerve. So that's a nerve that runs down your arm through your elbow, and it's the same one that you hit when you hit your funny bone. And the reason it's so easy to hit your funny bone is because it's very close to the surface of the skin. Same reason that it gets cold before a lot of other things do. When it gets cold, it kind of jams on, causing the tendons of your fingers to spread apart. Because you don't have any muscles in your fingers, you can't pull them back together again no matter how hard you try. So initially, you can tell if you have this because you can't touch your pinky finger to your thumb anymore. And when it gets really bad, you can't even touch your index finger to your thumb. And at that point, you should get out. Well, I didn't know any of that, so I just carried on swimming. And I got to the end of mile two, and I should have been feeling really good by this point because I was two-thirds of the way through the swim, not much longer to go, another half mile against the current and then back with it. Um, and I was passing the point of the beach where we had done the start, so I just glanced over at the beach, and horrified, I noticed that there were a lot of people on the beach. Oh my God, everyone else had finished the race already. I was definitely in last place. This really upset me a lot more than the cold, and I was half-minded to quit at this point and just sack it in and get out, but I kind of wanted to know if I could do it at this point. And so I carried on anyway, even though by this point I couldn't feel my hands, I couldn't feel my feet, I couldn't feel the inside of my mouth, my teeth were chattering, and I was shivering like crazy. So again, later, I found out that shivering is really, really bad when you're in the water. So actually, shivering is a really adaptive thing that we've developed to generate heat and it's fantastic um, so when you're on land your muscles are moving around you're generating a lot of heat keeps you warm when you're in the water the heat gets sucked away from you around 30 times faster than it does in the air so you will get cold incredibly rapidly all of that heat will be wasted and you'll burn your energy and get really tired so it's really not great when you start shivering however it's not nearly as bad as when you stop shivering that means you've reached the dangerous number of a 32 degrees C body temperature. Now, I know you're Americans, so I wrote in Sharpie on my hand, uh, that's 89.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So normal body temperature just references 37 degrees C, which is 98.6. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, um, when that happens and you stop shivering, at this point your circul circulation really slows down as your body tries to conserve oxygen. Um, unfortunately, your vital organs really need oxygen, um, and so that's really bad news for you. So, if you stop shivering, you should get out. Well, I didn't know any of that either. So, I just carried on swimming. That half mile to the last turn was excruciating. I was so cold and I was so tired. And I fixated on this post with these seagulls perched on it. And I was swimming toward it for what seemed like an eternity. But eventually I made it to the turn. There was a boat there and there were some volunteers. And I swear, I hadn't seen another person close up for about a mile. I don't know where the other swimmers were. I think they'd all finished by that point. So I was so glad to see these volunteers on the boat. And one of them was holding out this teeny tiny little paper cup of Gatorade. I kicked toward it. it, took me a few kicks to grab it because the current was so strong. I hate Gatorade, it tasted amazing. 
And he said to me, great job. You're going to have a great swim home. And I realized, oh, he's right. The current's my friend again. So I stuck my head down and I sprinted for the finish. It took way less time than, than any of the other parts of the race. I got to the beach. I stood up triumphantly and I fell over. My legs had completely stopped working. Um, so instead of the kind of triumphant run to the finish line, I ended up hobbling. Uh, I also didn't know that I had a kind of beard of ocean debris clinging to my face. So I learned after that to wipe off before the, the uh, finish line photo. <laughs> so I crossed the finish line and the volunteer there said to me, well done, you finished. Took me a moment to realize what she said. Oh, everybody else quit. The conditions were so tough. <laughs> <laughs> Only 12 of us finished the race. <laughs> I did feel a bit smug. <laughs> Back at the aquarium, it took me an hour and a half to stop shivering. I was so cold and I wished desperately for a hot shower, which there was not. Which, it turns out, is really lucky because if you have a hot shower after a cold water swim, it's one of the worst things you can do. Essentially, this tricks your body into thinking it's too hot, or the blood goes to the surface, away from your vital organs, making your core temperature drop even more. It's really, really dangerous. In addition, apparently, if you do this, your capillaries and your skin will burst from the sudden rush of blood, and you'll turn bright red for, like, three days. <laughs> so I'm pretty lucky. All I had was a woolly hat, a cup of coffee, and a huge sense of achievement because I realized that I had done something that not a lot of people can do. And that's what keeps me doing those races. And I realized that really, although the dangers are real, obviously all of those things that I said are true, um, the only real enemy for me was my self-doubt, that moment when I thought I was in last place. So all I really had to do was know what I could do, stick to my plan, believe in myself, and maybe know about the dangers of cold water swimming instead of just guessing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it still scares me silly. When I'm swimming in the Hudson, half a mile from shore, apparently on my own, not having seen another swimmer for miles, it's cold and I'm shivering and my goggles are leaking and waves are slapping me in the face and the current's pushing me one way or another. Or even worse, when I'm so cold that I have to get out and be brought back to shore shamefully in the boat instead of under my own steam. All of these things worry me. And when I'm doing these swims, I'm really scared. But it's so vast. It's so beautiful. It's so peaceful. I can't wait to do the next one. That was Paula Croxon. Paula is a neuroscientist at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, where she researches the brain mechanisms and chemicals that are responsible for memory. In case you couldn't tell, Paula is from the UK, and before coming to New York, she received an MA in Natural Sciences from the University of Cambridge, and an MSc and a PhD in Neuroscience from the University of Oxford. When she's not doing science, she plays the flute, and she blogs for Psychology Today. 
The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely, with help from Ariel Miller. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. We're grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make all of this possible. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to school for starting again. Thanks for listening. 